Okay, now, let's read that which is inerrant, infallible, inspired. We're going to read um, from the seventh chapter. As you know, at least most of you, we're studying the book of Hebrews. We're all the way up through, uh, we're halfway done with the book of Hebrews. We're in chapter seven. I'll read you the first 10 verses. You follow in your copies as I read from this inerrant book. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, uh, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues uh, a priest forever. See how great this man was, to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of, his, of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond, the, beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this, this word, this endures forever. Whoa. This is one thick passage of Scripture, is it not? Did you find yourself choking as I, as I read it? If you weren't, it's because you weren't listening, because this is, this is a dense section of the, of, of the Scriptures. Guys, starting here, going all the way through uh, chapter 10, verse 18, um, we, what, we are, what we get there is an important doctrinal section of the book of Hebrews. And the theme of all those three chapters is, 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 one, is the same thing. It is seeking to establish the, the, um, the high priestly role, the high priestly function, the high priestly office of Jesus Christ. Every, everything in here is about that. And consequently, you can expect a, a good deal of, of repetition in these chapters. But this theme, this one theme that goes on for three chapters, really starts back in chapter 6, verse 20, with the mention of Melchizedek. He's mentioned in verse 20 of chapter 6, and then from there, uh, chapter 7 unfolds. And boy, does this guy get a lot of ink, uh, that is Melchizedek. Uh, not, not so much in here, but in the commentaries. Um, if you've ever bought a commentary, ever read a commentary in Hebrews, there's going to be some kind of appendix or some kind of uh, section devoted just to Melchizedek. You know, I, I bet you some of you thought that I was going to skip it, skip him, you know, because he's such a mystery man. Um, but to do that, you'd have to skip the whole chapter of, um, whole ch all of chapter 7, because in chapter 7, he is the playa um, in there, and, and 
then some more in the in that in this section. But I want you to look at verse four as we start. Uh, verse four, chapter seven. It says, "See how great this man was." Well, first of all, uh, just two quick things. Um, the was that in the English translation is not in the Greek. That that verb is not there. The Greek simply says this. Now consider how great the man. It is an invitation. It's a summons to us, ladies and gentlemen, to consider how great the man. Which man? Melchizedek. Uh, It is inviting us to consider the man, Melchizedek. So that's what we're going to do. Guys, um, Melchizedek uh, appears once and only once in the entire Bible. He appears in Genesis chapter 14. And all of this language that you see, for instance, in verse 1, Abraham uh, returning from the slaughter of the kings, that's a reference to the event, to the event that takes place in Genesis chapter 14. Um, some of the details uh, that, you, that, you, that are mentioned in chapter 7 of Hebrews are, are taken directly from Genesis 14. So let me tell you that story, uh, the little event that takes place back here in Genesis 14. Um... It's the story about a confederation of five kings who gets together and they want to go, um, oh, um, take over a certain section of, of country, of the, of the region there, which is no big deal because that, happens all, that happened all the time. But they made one very giant miscalculation. Their miscalculation that was, that was that in that section that they were trying to, um, uh, to plunder, um, there lived a man by the name of Lot. And um, Lot was taken hostage by this confederation of five kings after they had uh, attacked and destroyed these, this area. Well, Lot, as you know, was the uh, nephew of Abraham. And uh, Abraham heard that his nephew had been captured. So Abraham gets together his whole household. Uh, by the way, this is all in Genesis 14. He gets uh, his household of uh, 318 men, uh, and he goes after them to get his nephew back. Now, those of you who've always considered Abraham to be this old, decrepit, arthritic, dried-up old dude, he's not. He's, uh, he's a warrior, and... So he takes his 318 men from his own household and attacks these five kings, and this large battle ensues, and Abraham wins. He gets his nephew, uh, Lot, back, Um, and that's what he went for. Then, on his way back home, after the victory over this confederation of kings, on his way back home, suddenly, out of nowhere, comes mystery man, Melchizedek. And um, immediately, and, and this is kind of significant, ladies and gentlemen, immediately, without, not, without a moment's hesitation, Abraham immediately recognizes who this guy is. Apparently, there was a certain fame associated with this Melchizedek guy because not, not one moment's hesitation, Abraham sees him and knows him. But not only does he see him and know him, he does two things which are oh so significant. The first thing that he does, or the, 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 the first thing that happens in Genesis 14, 
is that Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And with that one thing, ladies and gentlemen, the questions begin to fly. You see, because, wait a minute, wait a minute, isn't Abraham supposed to be the one doing all the blessing? I mean, uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 says, uh, God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. So Abraham's supposed to be the, uh, the, the, the founder of the faith, and we find here it is Melchizedek doing the blessing, not Abraham. Um, Abraham is blessed by the priest of God. That is, this great man that we're considering um, further blesses the already blessed Abraham, the one with the promises. That's what the text says. Uh, Melchizedek, bless the one with the promises. You know, the one with the promises, Abraham, well, he got blessed by Melchizedek, this great man. The second thing that happens is that Abraham gives to Melchizedek a tithe. Now, guys, for Jews, who, as you recall, are the audience of this book, for Jews, no one was greater than Abraham. Not even Moses. You'll notice in verse 4, it talks about even the patriarch, the patriarch, the big guy, uh, the the hero of, of Judaism, Abraham, pays tithes to Melchizedek. So, since Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, Abraham is acknowledging his subordinate role to that of Melchizedek's. All of this goes to underscore the greatness of this man. Guys, um... The Melchizedek is, is, it is stated in the text, is greater than their greatest, Abraham. Look at verse 7. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. That is, the inferior is Abraham is blessed by the superior Melchizedek. And then the text goes on to say something oh so interesting in verses 5 and verse 9. It says, particularly in verse 9, it says, um, one might even say that Levi, because you know who Levi is, it was the tribe of Levi out of which came the Levitical priesthood. Remember that? Um, all of the priests and all of the Levites came from the tribe of Levi. Well, this text says, even Levi, it could be said, says verse 9. It could be said that even Levi, because he was still in the loins of um, his father, Levi was the great-grandson of, of Abraham. And because he was still in the loins of Abraham, it might even be said that he too paid tithes. So, so the point is this, guys. Um, the big heroes of Judaism, Abraham, Levi, have just recognized the superiority of Melchizedek. Judaism's great hero, Melchizedek, is greater.
Melchizedek is greater than the greatest. Okay, Jimmy, slow down. You still haven't told me who this guy is. So who is he? All right, guys, here it is. This will suffice for the moment at least. Melchizedek is an actual historical person who was appointed by God to the role of priest to foreshadow the role that Christ would ultimately assume as our eternal high priest. Did you hear me? Melchizedek is an actual historical person who was appointed by God in the role of a priest to foreshadow the role that would one day be occupied and played by our eternal high priest, Jesus Christ. Now, wait just a minute here, Dr. Young. That's not what I've been taught. I mean, uh, I, mean I was in a Bible study one time with, about Hebrews, and, 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 and they told me that he was, um, he was a supernatural being, that this was, uh, this was an appearance of Christ. Uh, I think they call it a Christophany. Nope. That's not right. And, and I think I can at least suffice to say for now, look at verse 3. Um, but resembling the Son of God. It's not the appearance of the Son of God. It's just one who resembles the Son of God. Now, we're going we're gonna, to, I'm going to say some more. But all, I'm, all I want you to see at this moment is that God is using Melchizedek um, to speak predictively about the role that Christ would play ultimately as our eternal high priest. So how does he do that? How does Melchizedek serve as a predictor of what Christ would ultimately perform? Well, he does it in a couple of ways, guys. First of all, you'll notice in the text that Melchizedek functions as a king, and he is the priest of God. Those are two offices that in Israel or in Judaism were to remain separated. Um, you remember that very ugly incident in Second Chronicles chapter 26 where Uzzah, who was the king, he goes into the temple and he tries to offer sacrifices and the priest meet him in there and say, get out of here, you're not supposed to do that. And he refuses to go and God strikes him with leprosy. You remember that story? That was because, ladies and gentlemen, the office of king and the office of priest were to be separated except for the Messiah. Um, political power and spiritual power were to be kept separate except when the Messiah arrived. So one way that Melchizedek is acting predictively is that he combines those two offices of king and priest. Nobody else had ever done that. That's the first way. But here's the second way. And now we come to the moment that you've all been waiting for. (laughs) Um, Who is he? 
who is Melchizedek? Um, let's take a look at the very hotly debated, much described verse 3, because that's where the issue lies, ladies and gentlemen. Now, I'm going to give you one insight, and if you get this one, you'll understand the rest. Okay? Gang. In view here, in this passage, and in verse 3, in view here is Melchizedek's role as a priest. It even says that, ladies and gentlemen, in verse 3. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest. This whole section is about Melchizedek as a priest. What is in view in this passage is Melchizedek's role as a priest. We're talking here in this passage about how a man normally entered the priesthood, not how a man normally entered life. Normally, ladies and gentlemen, in Judaism, priests were legitimated through their ancestral lines through their through their genealogical lines Melchizedek appears in scripture without ancestors without a, 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 a genealogy also he appears without a birth certificate and without a, a death certificate now again um, as a priest We are given no record of Melchizedek's birth, his origin, his parents, his history. You see, for Judaism, guys, the only requirement to be a priest was who's your daddy or who's your mom and your mother. Because all you had to do to be a priest is to be a son of Aaron. But nobody in Israel knew who Melchizedek's parents were. But Melchizedek was uniformly recognized in Judaism as a priest. But but there was no genealogical right to be a priest. He wasn't a son of Aaron. Then how did he become a priest? Gang, the text tells you over in verse 21, we didn't read this portion, but over in verse 21 of chapter 7, but this one, Melchizedek, was made a priest. He was appointed a priest by God. Gang, the text doesn't say that Melchizedek had no parents. It simply is telling us that as a priest, There was no record of who his parents were. In contrast to the Levitical priesthood, whose archaeological lines were saved and preserved so that they could have access to the priesthood. But you don't have one of those with Melchizedek. The text is not suggesting that he didn't have parents. It's simply suggesting we don't know who they were. Because, ladies and gentlemen, you see, this passage is not about how one enters life. 
It's about how one enters the priesthood. Gang, the same thing is true about this in verse 3, about the beginning of days. That's not talking about Melchizedek having some kind of eternality. Melchizedek suddenly appears in Genesis 14 and then suddenly disappears, never to, to, to appear again. As far as the Old Testament narrative is concerned, there is no record of the ending of his priesthood. We don't have a death certificate. And do you remember in Judaism, there were age limits in the priesthood. Uh, between 30 and 50. After 50, you got out. You were no longer a priest. But we have no birth certificate. We don't know when he was born. And we don't know when he died. Because you see, Melchizedek preceded all of those Levitical pieces of legislation by seven or 800 years. Guys, all this is simply to show you the uniqueness of Melchizedek's priesthood uniformly recognized by all of Judaism. Okay then. Then how could Melchizedek be a priest if he didn't meet the qualifications of the priesthood? He, he, he He wasn't from the tribe of Levi. Uh, He wasn't from the family of Aaron. My gosh, he wasn't even Jewish. And his birth, how old he was, we don't know. He he, uh, didn't exactly go through the proper channels. But you see, ladies and gentlemen, he became a priest, as we're told in verse 21, because he was made a priest. God himself directly appointed him to establish a priesthood that would be more fundamentals, more fundamental than the priesthood of Levi. Melchizedek's qualifications to be a priest do not come from his family, but they come from God's appointment. Gang, you may be bored absolutely to tears but I'm telling you you shouldn't be not because my sermon is so wonderful ladies and gentlemen but because this piece of truth right here is absolutely critical why why is it so critical Jimmy tell me what's at stake here I'll tell you what's at stake ladies and gentlemen The priestly office of Jesus Christ. The priesthood of Jesus Christ. That's what's at stake. Why? Gang. Do you know what the most often quoted psalm in the New Testament? What psalm in the Old Testament is the one most quoted in the New Testament? Do you know which one it is? It's Psalm 110. Do you know what Psalm 110 verse 4 says? It says that once I send the Messiah, the Messiah will be a priest after, according to the role of Melchizedek. The priest when he comes, I mean the Messiah when he comes, the Messiah will come after the order of Melchizedek. 
not after the role of Levi. Because, ladies and gentlemen, you do know, don't you, that Jesus was not from the line of Levi either. He was from the tribe of Judah. So he doesn't have any genealogical right to the priesthood either. But the promise has always been that when the Messiah came, he would come after the order of Melchizedek. What's at stake? The priesthood of Jesus Christ. Oh, and by the way, what is it that priests do? Oh, I'll tell you what priests do. They offer sacrifice for sin. And if Jesus Christ cannot be priest, then Jesus Christ cannot offer sacrifice for sin. And so, ladies and gentlemen, long before Levi, long before Israel, God appoints another priest whose birth certificate we don't have. In the name of his mother and daddy, we don't have. All we know is that God appointed this man to be a priest. And that ultimately when the Savior would come, he would have his priesthood according to the role and office of Melchizedek. Guys, all this fanciful talk about who Melchizedek is and page after page after page in the commentaries, all this commentary verbiage, they have wasted your time. In a lot of ways, it reminds me of the book of Jonah because you read commentaries on the book of Jonah and they spend 12 pages trying to figure out what kind of fish it was. It doesn't matter what kind of fish it was. He's not the story. And ladies and gentlemen, the punchline of this passage, the point of this passage and every other passage, by the way, is about who Christ is, not who Melchizedek is. Melchizedek does nothing but serve as a foil that you and I might see the beauties and the perfections of our eternal high priest. Guys, do you see this? Do you see the exactitude, the the definitions, the extremes to which God went all the way back in Genesis 14? Preparing something so ultimately when he sent his Messiah, his Messiah would be a priest. Why? So that he could sacrifice for sin. Guys, not only did the Father appoint him as a priest after the order of Melchizedek, 
God also appointed him as the sacrificer for sin. If Melchizedek is so great, like verse 4 says, if Melchizedek is so great, how much greater must be the one to whom Melchizedek points? And that's what you need to go home with. Not some kind of intellectual smugness that now I know who Melchizedek is. Melchizedek was simply one more cog in the wheel in the great redemptive scheme of God so that he could ultimately save a people through the perfection of his sacrifice and his priestly function. Go ahead, ladies and gentlemen. Consider how great is this man Melchizedek and let it drive you to the even greater eternal high priest, Christ Jesus. Melchizedek was greater than the greatest. And Jesus Christ is greater than Melchizedek. That's the point.